lots of, of illustrations this morning of the body of Christ. And um, those are just two of them. We, we heard from Cinda, body of Christ up north. I, I call you guys Village North. And so um, I know it's Indicott, but we can go with Village North. Um, just wonderful to hear what God is doing there. And, and, and what beautiful pictures of how God wants His church to work. He wants His church to be a group of believers that are all gifted by the Holy Spirit because we know that we are all doing our part to minister to each other, to love each other, to build up the church. One, one illustration I was reading this week did a, just took, took the idea of an army and used that as an illustration of a church. In, in an army, you have a lot of different people doing a lot of different things, right? You have some people that are trained with a rifle, some people that can fly jets, some people that can repair the jets, some people that help those jets land, you know, so you have, you have all these different jobs in an army for one purpose, to, to win the war in an army if you're in a war. We as a church are in a war. We're in a spiritual war. We know that. We're in a battle for lost souls, for, for letting people, bringing people to Jesus that don't know Jesus. And God has given us all different parts to, to do, to, in that process. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 13, we saw Paul right in the middle of this discussion on gifts say, but remember the most important thing is what? You remember last week? Love. Love. How are you loving each other? That's how we use gifts. That's how we serve each other. If we serve each other just out of duty, it falls apart. If we serve each other because we love each other, that is cool. That is awesome. And it makes a difference. But now we come to 14. And in 14, Paul begins to deal with some, some divisions or some problems with how the church was using these gifts. He's, he's set the foundation. He set the, that love is the most important thing. And he says, now let's, let's talk about some communication that's happening in the church. Let's talk about what's happening in your worship service. Because some things were happening in their worship service that weren't helpful. Things that uh, some were focusing on the gift of tongues and, and in a way that wasn't even biblical and, and they were exaggerating this above all other gifts. Others were being felt like outsiders because they didn't have that gift and some other gifts were being neglected. And, and the worship service, by all indications from what we've seen, what we, what we see in, in 1 Corinthians 14 had digressed into chaos. Sort of anyone do whatever you want and, and it had nothing to do with loving one another. It had nothing to do with communicating clearly God's truth. And so people could come and possibly never even know what was communicated. Communication matters, doesn't it? Words matter. How we use words. Even even though in our church we don't have the issue of tongues, but we have other issues of communication. Um, But words matter. This week, um, Susie got a a note, or, or actually a teacher came and talked to Susie, Alicia's teacher, and she said, you know, Alicia said something this week. And Alicia said, my mommy likes to drink. <laughs> what does that communicate? <laughs> yeah. And the teacher knows Susie, praise God. And, and she's like, okay, what does your mommy like to drink? She likes soda. <laughs> Pepsi, by the way, if you, if you, or coffee. And, but it's a situation where communicating, even in English, it didn't clearly state what was needed to be said, right? And, and praise God for further communication and that there, we had open house this week and the teacher actually still talked to us. It was very nice. And 
communication matters. And, and that is where Paul is going to go in, in chapter 14, is our communication in the service matters. Now there's two different levels that I want to look at this morning, and we'll move through it very quickly. But, but one of the, the ways that we can look at this, and we will look at it, is we see some description of the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, the gift of prophecy. And so we gain just some, some good education about those gifts and what the Bible teaches about those gifts. But this morning I want to go beyond that. That's, that's part of what we want to learn. But we also want to ask, okay, what are the deeper principles that God is teaching through His Word? Because what Paul is addressing here is actually worship. It's how we come together. What our gathering together looks like on Sunday morning or uh, at community group or any other time we gather together. And he gives us some warnings of things that destroy that, but he also gives some wonderful principles about what it means to gather together. Some of the, the things out of this passage have to do with some of my beliefs of how we do church and how we, we even come together, what we include in our service and how we approach our service. And so let's dig into this passage. There's all kinds of different opinions on parts of this passage. And so we're going to dig into it, but we dig into it with, with fear and trembling and with a lot of humility. Some of the, the verses, if I read 15 commentaries on it, there might have been 20 different opinions. You might wonder, but some of the guys couldn't even decide, and so they're, they're listing a couple of opinions. And so we come to this with fear and trembling, not, not as a, a way of saying, I know everything that this passage means, but this is what we think this means. But in the deeper principles, we know it's preaching. We don't skip the passage just because we're not sure what some of the verses mean or that we can't be absolutely sure or there's different opinions. It's God's Word. And so we come to it and say, what does this have to do with worship? What does this have to do with our church? So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And let's just dig into this like a, a big meal set before us and we're just going to devour parts of it and see what does God have for His church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 25. If you're with us this morning and don't have a Bible underneath the chairs, there's a black Bible. We'd love for you to take that and, and follow along with us. If you don't have one at home, just take that as our gift to you. And you can take that home and, and have a copy of God's Word, read it, enjoy it. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through, 1 through 25. Let's start with verses 1 through 5. And this morning, as we study it, we want to look at what are some of the purposes of coming together? What should we be thinking about as we gather? Paul starts out, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And we just jump right in here to some of the specific issues that Paul is dealing with in the church between the use of the gift of tongues and the use of prophecy. And we can look at this and say, well, that's just a very, that, that's all technical stuff. I'm not sure what some of those words mean. But the bigger principle of those five verses 
is that prophecy is greater than tongues because it builds others up. I put the word edifies there. The first thing, and then actually the, the major theme of this entire section, Paul says, when you come together, are you edifying each other? Are you building each other up? In fact, seven times through this whole passage, he keeps coming back to, are we building up the church when we come together? When you use your gifts, are we building each other up? When you're in ministry, are we building each other up? Almost like that's his theme. It is. He keeps coming back to that. And the idea of building up, was it was a construction word that had to do with building a building up from the bottom up. And so he's saying, every time you come together, have you added another two by four in each other's life? Have you added some drywall? Have you added some mud? Have you added a roof? Are you building each other up in the faith? And that's that's a great way to come to church. It's a great way to approach church. Let's pick these verses apart and explain some of these. First thing he does is tie it back to 1 Corinthians 13. That's not just inserted in there for, for, for a nice love chapter. It is essential to the gifts and essential to ministry. As we talked about last week, as you heard Cinda talking about this morning, we need to love each other. And so Paul says, pursue love. Pursue it with persistence. Chase after it. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And so he's, he's picking up chapter 13 on love, then back to the end of 12 when we talked about that we should be looking for, for the greater gifts, the gifts that build up. Again, that's a, that's a you all. So that's a community. As a church, pursue the gifts that build the body up. Especially that you may prophesy. And here he gets into to one of the things he wants to talk about. He wants to compare prophecy and, and tongues. And they were focusing on tongues, probably neglecting prophecy. And he's saying, let's switch that. Let's look at the purpose of both. Let's look at the purpose of worship and make sure we're doing the right thing. Pursue love, desire gifts that build up the body of Christ. Those two go together, don't they? To love each other, what has the Holy Spirit given us? Gifts to serve each other, right? As we serve each other, what does that show? That we love each other. And I would would say in my experience, the more I serve people, the more I grow to love them. And then the more I love them, the more I use my gifts to serve them and build them up. And so it's, it's a beautiful gift from God to give us a love for each other, but to give us these gifts to be able to minister to each other. To love well, seek spiritual gifts. To use spiritual gifts well, seek love. And it's the circle. But then he gets into prophecy and tongues. And it's probably worth stopping for a moment and defining what we mean by these. And this is where we can get into all kinds of opinions Love to talk with you afterwards if you share a different opinion on some of these. But I put some of the definitions out of our shape class there um, in, for tongues. The gift of tongues is the ability to speak God's truth in a human language unknown to the speaker or to pray in a language understood only by God or one who is given the gift of interpretation at that time. And, and really where I go to for a summary of the gift of tongues is back in the last chapter, 13.1 where Paul is listing the gifts and he says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels. And that's probably our our, our best understanding of what tongues includes. The tongues of men would be a human language, one that maybe is used for when we're sharing the gospel or or a place where where we don't know the language. We see that in Acts chapter 2. People came and they heard the praising of God from the apostles in their own language. 
It was a miraculous event. It's said by the Spirit of God. And, and, and so we see an example of that there, in my opinion. But then we see an example in 14 here where Paul, in, in this chapter, is really talking about the use of tongues as a prayer language. As a language between God and us that is used privately um, in our worship and in our prayer of God. Now, now this is sometimes hard to, to understand because we don't practice this. We, we don't see this in action very often. But we want to come to Scripture and say, what does Scripture say? A couple of things just to mention. We believe that tongues is a language. And this goes very specifically to, in the last hundred years, the church and the Pentecostal movement has, has resurrected tongues. And, and primarily they use it in a way that is not a language. And, and I would argue is just human-induced um, ecstasy or, or utterings. But every time this word for tongue is used in Scripture, it's used as a language. A language with content. Now, it could be a language of men. It could be a language of angels. But it is something more than just the same syllable uttered over and over. It has content. It has meaning. And doesn't that make sense with a God who wants to be known? And we sang about a God who wants to be known, who has revealed Himself. In fact, it's the only way interpretation makes sense. Because the gift of interpretation means to translate from one language to another. And so, if Paul says we can interpret tongues, that means it must have content, something to be interpreted. And so tongues are an unknown language to the speaker, a language of men or of angels. Um, the, the language of angels, a prayer language understood only by God or one who is given the gift of interpretation. Interpretation of tongues, I mentioned there, the ability to understand and make known to the church the message of someone speaking in tongues for the edification of the body. And we're going to see that a lot of this is out of this passage. But I wanted to, to make sure we're sort of on the same page with definitions as we get going here. Prophecy is something a little bit different. Um, prophecy is the divine enablement to proclaim God's truth to His people with power and clarity in a culturally applicable fashion for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Lots to that definition. The last three words are actually right out of verse 3 that we're going to talk about. But prophecy is, is if we boil it down, it's speaking God's Word to God's people. And His truth is His Word, and so we would believe that this is the, the foundation now of prophecy. And prophecy, I believe, can take several different forms. There's a, there's a lot of debate. Some think that it's only an unprompted utterance. And we definitely see that in this passage. We see examples of that. So people come together and the Holy Spirit gives you a word of God for somebody. Not new scripture, but a way to apply scripture, a, play, a way to apply God's truth in that person's life. And, and so someone that, that, might respond and say, wow, that was exactly the verse that I needed to hear today. How did you know? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit put that on your heart to share. Um, or, or sometimes it's a corrective word to say, you know what, the, the Bible says that's sin. And, and we need to be aware of that. And that can be the, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy, I believe, also corresponds with preaching. Because if God gives an unprompted word, he, then we can also record that and share that with the church. 
And so preaching, a, a lot of authors would, would view preaching and taking God's Word and applying it to our lives and applying it to our culture as part of prophecy. We could go deep into this and we could spend a lot of time on this, but we don't have a lot of time. So um, we'll leave those definitions there. That's where the definitions we're working with this morning because we want to go on and, and study His Word. And so... Paul here says, especially that you may prophesy. And and he now explains why he's putting a priority on that over tongues. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks, speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. And so Paul here is is bringing up when you're gathering and someone's speaking in tongues, no one understands him. Even if it's a language, it's one not understood by anyone else unless someone's interpreting And so it's something that's between you and God. He goes on in verse verse 3 to say, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so we see a comparison of the, the gift of tongues that is uninterpreted is just between God and I. The gift of prophecy is God's word to his people. Which shows more love? Just just me and God off in the corner doing our thing? Or a word spoken when we get together that helps everybody? And that's why Paul brought in the whole love. He's saying, okay, this is more loving. This is more important in the church. How are you building each other up? He lists three things there that are part of, of prophecy or part of sharing God's truth. The first is strengthening or upbuilding. And that's the same word for, for building up a building. Edifying. The second is encouraging. Encouragement. How do we lift someone else's spirits? How do we come alongside and and exhort them and encourage them in their faith? Emboldening them to walk with God. The third one mentioned in verse 3 there is consolation. It's the idea of comfort. Comforting someone in grief or distress. I have watched you all as a body comfort this, this last month. Comfort Bud to comfort some that have had losses. And, and what is so special to see is when you use God's Word to comfort. Because you're, you're now taking God's truth and applying it to, to the situation in a way that is comforting. And so Paul compares these two and says one's personal, one's private, one's for the gathering. So when you gather together, why are you focusing on the personal or the private? And he goes on to to explain that a little bit more. Verse 4, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself or edifies himself. It's not talking pride here, but legitimately, that may edify you privately. But the one who prophesies, speaks God's Word to his people in an understandable way, builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And there again, over and over, Paul, so that the church may be built up. That's his point here. Tongues will edify ourselves, but it's just not appropriate in a worship context. And he's talking the prayer language of tongues here. But uninterpreted tongues just isn't appropriate because it doesn't build anyone else up. And he's going to bring some other arguments into that as well. Understand this. Paul is not disparaging tongues. 
He, he is not here. Some have said, well, he's actually making fun, fun of tongues in verse 4. But no, he's not. He's not denying that the Holy Spirit works in this way. In fact, if you just look through the, the whole of the passage and whole of 24 and in verse 2 and verse 14 and 15, Paul says that tongues can be used in prayer to God and to speak to God. In verse 4, he says it edifies the individual. In verse 5, he says, I want you all to, to speak in tongues. And, and he's using that in the sense of desire, the, the greater gifts. Not that we should all, all speak in tongues, but it's okay to. Verse 13 and 26 through 28, it's useful in the church if it's interpreted. Verse 18, and we're going to see that Paul drops the bombshell that they didn't even know after he had been with them. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. In verse 39 at the end of the chapter that, that we'll cover next week, it says, don't, don't prohibit the Spirit from using this. And so Paul isn't disparaging tongues, but he's talking about where and when. What should worship look like? Our priority when we come together is to use our gifts to build up the church. That's the bottom line. Use our gifts to build up the church. How do we put that into practice? If we, if we take this principle and come to our context, we put this into practice by every time we come to the gathering of the saints, instead of asking the question, what am I going to get out of this today? Ask the question, who does God want me to minister to today? If you come to church every Sunday and ask that question when you walk in the door, it will change how you view the whole morning. It will change how you worship. It will change how you study God's Word. Because you're now switching from a consumer to a producer, to use business terms. This, this is no longer about me. This is about what God's doing in His body. And we, we've talked about that biblically, but it's hard to put into practice. So I challenge you, next week you come, on your way here, ask your family, who do you think God wants us to minister to today? You know, with my kids, I sort of make it a game and, and we talk and they, they don't quite understand the concept yet, but we're working on it. We're already talking about it. And so I'll say, well, maybe who does, maybe there's someone that God wants you to pray with or just give a hug to or encourage today. The, the whole concept of minister to doesn't quite make sense yet. But find a way to say, how does God want me to use my gifts to build others up today? You never know what God's going to do with that. You never know what you might see. You might be walking in the gym and see someone off to the side just really struggling today. And the Holy Spirit says, go talk to them. Go pray with them. If you're here to minister, to show love, you'll follow that prompting. You may see a young family and a mom walking in with four kids on her hips. Not to point out any of our young families. It's hard. It's hard work. And I've watched some of you just go over and take a child. Walk with them. That's coming to minister to somebody. That's coming to be God's love in someone's life. When Paul keeps repeating, how are we built up? How does this build up the body? He's talking about those kinds of things. He's talking about how do we help each other grow. Building Christ's community takes priority over personal desires, preferences, or experiences. And so that's why Paul says prophecy is better. It builds up. It teaches. It equips people to walk with God this week. Tongues doesn't. It may make you feel good at the time, but it's really very individual. 
The distinction he makes, and Pastor Andrew is going to talk about it next week, is the interpretation of tongues now makes it a message that is understandable. And it's useful much like prophecy in a little bit of a different way, but it builds up the body. But the first point Paul makes is that part of why we get together is to edify. Prophecy is greater than tongues because it builds others up. We go on to verses 6 through 12. The second thing to look at in this, and he's already mentioned it, and all of these arguments are sort of woven together, but now he focuses on understandable or understandability. Ministry only builds up if it is intelligible, and uninterpreted tongues are not. Just straightforward. Verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And Paul's going to make this point with a series of, of illustrations. His first one is, is in six. He's, okay, what if when I came to you or when I come to you, the only thing I do, because they were, they were putting such a stress on it, what if the only thing I do is to speak in tongues? And you could never understand me. They'd be thinking, that would be nuts. How would we understand what you're teaching? Do you see where he's going with this? It'd be not, you wouldn't get anything done. I can remember going and visiting Mario and Lancey in Portugal, and I do not have a gift like Heather does of actually understanding, picking up languages quickly. And there were times they were off doing things, and I'm just there with no one that speaks English. It was hard. Because, because I just, just trying to pick it up, and so I just found myself sitting there. Because, you know, I'd try, but I didn't even know a few words. At least in Spanish, I know a few words, but in Portuguese, I'm like, I'm lost. And so Paul's using an illustration like that. What if I came to you and I only spoke in a language you can't understand? How will I benefit you? And the answer is you don't. And so he says, unless I bring some revelation, knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. And he's using those to, to just illustrate the teaching ministries of the church. How will, I, how will I provide some benefit without some content? Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But Paul says, I think Paul's writing and thinking, ah, they may not get it yet. Let's use some other illustrations. Second one, verse 7, If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Worship team, great great job leading us in worship. Um, where's our guitar players? They're around here somewhere. What if your guitars, you just left each string untuned? Would that be beautiful music? No. What would that do to worship? It would be distracting to worship because it would make no sense. It would not have a distinct tone. You know, Kayla, what if we took the piano and we um, just loosened all the strings or maybe we just tune it all to C? We're just going to tune it all to the same note. That way you can, you can just pick whatever note you want to play. No, why not? Because there's no distinction in it. There's no meaning to it. And so Paul is equating their use of tongues to say there's no meaning to it. If, if we get it even for instruments, why aren't we getting it in our worship service? Then he goes in 8 and gives another example. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? And he's using a military reference here. And the, and the bugler would have different tunes that they would play for different situations. And this was their communication on the battlefield. One tune might be to advance, to attack. Another melody might be to retreat. What if you got those mixed up? 
What if you didn't understand what the tune was and you're out there like, I don't know if we're supposed to advance or retreat. I'm going to advance and everyone else leaves. it's, It's a silly example, but Paul is using absurdity to say, we must understand. Understanding is key to worship, to teaching, to building up. In fact, it's the only way we can understand or to to build up. In 9, he says, so with yourselves. He said, this is what you're doing. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Saying, really, what you're doing with tongues and, and doing something that's unintelligible in the community is worthless. It's speaking to the air because that's not why we come together. He goes on and gives another example in 10. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But I do not know, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. It doesn't even matter if it's a language. If we don't know it, if we can't understand each other, there's a distance. We're foreigners. Interestingly enough, just sort of a fun thing, the word for foreigner there in the, in the Greek is the word we get barbarian out of. But they liked that word because it was barbar, and, and and so they would. It was one of those words that sounded like its name, and so barbarians or, or a foreigner they would say their language just sounds like bar 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 bar, and, and so that's how they used this. It would be sort of like us. I almost titled today wah 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 wah. If you, any of you are Charlie Brown fans, that's what this word meant, and he's saying it's just unintelligible. Verse 11, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner with me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. By the way, there's that phrase again. Build up the church. So the second point is we need to be understandable when we come together. Ministry only builds up if it is intelligible and uninterpreted tongues are not. Edification, building up, happens through understanding. You know, and this, this for us, as we apply this to our setting, we need to think even in terms of in English, are we understandable? Sometimes in, in, a, in a, a, we can come together and we can use words that are, are so loaded with meaning or, or, you know, 25, 50 cent words that nobody understands. And we do the same thing. We stop, we stop edification. We stop building up. The sermon title this morning. Anyone catch that? Had some fun with that. Did you know what it meant the first time you read it? Let me read it to you. Articulating intelligible utterances from the oral cavity that buttress the amassing of the saints. Catchy sermon title, right? One you're going to go home and remember. You couldn't understand that the first time you read it. Well, maybe some of you. You're brilliant and you can. Uh, I used resources to, to, on every word to come up. Really, what I could have said is speaking understandably to build up the church. means the same thing. And so the question you might ask is, why didn't you say what you meant? You heard that phrase? But we use these, these sometimes large words and ways of interpreting things. Why? Builds me up, right? I know words you don't. I had to look these up. But as we come together and worship, we need to think about those things. We need to be careful of things. 
Are we understandable? Because what we do must be understandable to have value in building up. That affects children's ministry, doesn't it? Probably that's not your title for a children's ministry lesson. They'd be like, what? And they unfortunately would cue in on one of those words and laugh. But um, <laughs> Because it's not understandable. In our worship, in our talking, in our teaching, in our ministry... Are we doing this in a way that's understandable? You know, it's why sometimes in worship we stop to explain some of the words. Because we don't always understand them and we forget. Come Thou Found is a song I love, but what have you heard us do about, about one of the words in there? Here I raise mine Ebenezer. And I've had people ask me, why are we, why are we elevating the Christmas carol? Why are we talking about Scrooge here? I just don't understand what it means. No, Ebenezer was a stone of help. A a stone that they built that reminded them that God was their help. It's a beautiful word. If we never explain that, that verse of the hymn means nothing. The same thing can happen when we talk about I'm washed in the blood of Christ. Think about that. Think about if you didn't know what it meant. We need to be explaining those words. And I confess, I haven't always done a good job of it because I've been a Christian my whole life. And so Christianese is a language I'm familiar with. But we are in a world where we are reaching people for Christ that don't have a church background anymore. And these words may not have those same meaning. When we're witnessing to someone, and we'll talk about that in point five in the next five minutes. Um, when we're witnessing to someone, we need to be careful terms we use. If you're going to your friend and say, you know, you need to be justified and then sanctified and then you'll be glorified, they'll be like, you're going to fry me? What's going on? It it doesn't make sense because they don't have the background. We need to explain those words. In this day and age, quite frankly, we need to even explain the word sin. People don't understand that or they've redefined that. We need to define what it means or, or show what it means to be separated from God. We might even have to talk about God. And that there is a God. Is it worth it if they come to Christ? Yeah. But we need to be understandable. Be careful of those Christianese, those things that we use. See, unfortunately, how the gift of tongues is usually practiced today is not understandable because it has no content. And so it really doesn't build up the body. Three more points. (laughs) Oh boy. Three, engages. Ideal worship engages both our mind and our heart. I've seen the pendulum on both sides of this. Both are wrong. Both are unhealthy. Ideal worship engages both our mind and our heart. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Pray for understanding. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful because I don't get it. What am I to do? And so Paul's answer, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also, or I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So Paul says, pray that you'll be understood. Pray that you can understand what is happening. He's dealing with the gift of tongues here, but the bigger principle is Paul is saying, engage your mind as well as your heart. See, tongues was about the heart and the emotion And Paul isn't saying that that Christianity should be sterile and emotionless. He's saying it should also include the mind. Romans 12.2, remember? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. 
One of the authors, Thistleton, explained, if only the mind is active, everything remains at a theoretical level. If only the heart is active, the door lies open to self-deception and credulity. If both are open to the Holy Spirit, the result can build up the community and bear the fruit of love for the others. And so as we come to worship, God wants us to worship with both heart and mind. Both emotion and our brains. How do we apply that today? How do we bring that into today's context? One of the ways is, is sometimes I think we can fall into mindless prayer. Where we just sort of pray the same thing over and over. Ever done that? Find yourself using the same phrases. One of the reasons is we're not engaging our minds. We're not thinking about, about God and His attributes and about how He wants to work in situations. So we need to engage ourselves in prayer. In our songs, when we sing songs, read the words. Understand the words. Remind yourself of the words. Here's what I've noticed. The more familiar the song, the more we check out with our mind. And it becomes an emotional response. Because we, we just, now, it doesn't have to be. We can fight that. But even on familiar songs, and we, we, we sang a song this morning, we sang several songs that are very familiar from, um, in the secret, I'm gonna have to remember, in the secret, and the last one we did, All Creatures of Our God and King. And, and, and both of those have wonderful meaning if we think through what they, they say. Don't come on Sunday and leave your brain at the door. Think about what we're singing. Think about what we're praying. Think about God's Word. Point number four. Worship is to be participatory. When we gather, our worship should have the community in mind rather than the individual. And listen to where Paul goes in verse 16. And this is really key. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? And there's an assumption there that as we worship, we are worshiping together. I don't know if any of you noticed this morning, but you're not the only one here. There are people all over this sanctuary that are here to worship. And Paul's saying we should keep that in mind when we come together. Because when I worship, someone else should be able to see that and say amen or it is true. If I share a word of thanksgiving to God or a word of praise to God, somebody else should be able to understand that and say that is true. Then it's building up everyone, right? There is nothing like hearing a testimony of what God has done this week. When Cinda was talking, I'm thinking, that's my God. What is God doing there? It just was so uplifting. Now, if I couldn't understand anything that she said, all that would have been thrown out the window. And God couldn't have used that to build up His church. But when we come together, we should have community in mind rather than the individual. The wording there, how can someone in the position of an outsider, he's actually not talking about unbelievers here. He will 20 through 25. What he's saying is we put people in the position of outsiders if we're speaking in tongues and they don't get it. We are alienating other believers. Now, I haven't seen the, the gift of tongues alienate people in this room, but I have seen inside jokes or clicks or stories or whatever because we're so close sometimes to each other that it's so easy to alienate other people. Worship is a corporate experience. We are a family. When you come here, we're to worship as a family. Paul says, 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. It may help you, but it's not helping everybody. 
I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And they would have been like, what? We didn't see you speak in tongues. Do you know why? He did it in private. It was personal. He didn't do that in worship. 19, nevertheless in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The word for 10,000 is the word we get myriad from. It was the largest number that in the Greek language that would just be a word representing it. If we were to translate it today, it would be, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than a zillion words in a tongue. That's how important this concept was to Paul. Worship is to be inclusive. To find ways that it's not about me, it's about building each other up. It's about edifying the body. If I can just just say, say a word on this. I think so many times we come to church seeking how it is going to somehow entertain me. And, and we come to church thinking that we're going to have this theater experience. That it's all going to be geared to, to something I enjoy and I just sit back and watch the show. And if I like it, I have a good rest of the day, maybe even post something on Facebook. If I don't, I'm not even sure I come back next week. That is a sinful view of church. Because this is the body of Christ, not that, that we're to minister to each other, that we're to participate in worship, not that we're just to come and hope that we're entertained. And, and I, I am troubled at this one because I see the trend in churches in America today going to, to theater worship and going to the separation of those on the stage and, and from those in the congregation and this idea that somehow there is a distinction. And, and I've got to tell you, I've been to churches where it's a great show. It is awesome. It is amazing. And, and my emotions are going. The problem is, it's just not a biblical view of church. Think about how these concepts, the principles, work themselves out in our worship. Are we building each other up? Is the body of Christ loving each other? Are we ministering to each other? That affects how we do worship. That affects how we do church. And at times, it may not be as professional as other places. Praise God. I'm not up here to be professional. We are here to build the body. And so we'll do things like people up for dedications and memberships and pray for, for dear members of our body that are going away. Because it's not a show it's an assembling of the saints to be God's church. I'm out of time. I need to get off my soapbox. It's not what I can get when I come. It's how can I love others. Let me just give you point number five. We're to be a life-giving assembly. Build up believers, but be understandable to unbelievers. Build up believers, but be understandable to unbelievers. What is the purpose of the church? What's the target of the church? The primary target of the church is believers. We should cater and gear our gathering to teaching and building up the body. But Paul in this says, be aware that unbelievers might be with you at any time. So, so act in a way that shows them Jesus, that shows them who God is, that doesn't confuse them, that doesn't drive them away from the faith. 
Let me read these verses. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. He's calling them a little childish. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, be people of strange, by people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And he's quoting there from Isaiah 28 when the children of Israel were taken away into captivity. And they didn't listen to clear teaching. And so God says, now you're, un- now you're under language you don't understand. And it's a sign of judgment. And actually it says they still didn't listen. It's a sign of judgment that they won't get out from under. And then 22, he summarizes that. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. It's a reminder that they're outsiders. And if we apply the context of that Isaiah passage and where Paul goes with it, it also probably keeps them from understanding the faith. Because it's a sign, a symbol of God's judgment on them. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers, because it builds up the saints. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Is that what we want unbelievers to think when they come? Those are nuts. They might think that when they get to know some of us. But no, when they come, we don't want them to think we're crazy. What do we want them to see? God was there. God was there. And we do that by building each other up, by ministering. Paul, Paul goes there. Verse 24, But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's what I pray people see when they come here. That they will see how we minister to each other, how we worship, how we elevate God. And they will fall on their faces and worship and say, God is among you. That's our goal when we come together. It's not what can God do for me, but what can I do for God's people? For Him. Let's pray. Lord God, Help us to be Your church and Your people. Help us to come looking to minister. Looking to build each other up. Not doing things that are only about me and my relationship with God. But how can I help others walk close to God? Lord, I pray that as we use our gifts in this assembling, that You would use it to show a a lost world just what a group of believers that are walking with God can look like. That it would blow them away. Not that we're crazy, but that you're amazing. Thank you, God, for salvation, for bringing us into your family. May we worship you and minister for you. In Jesus' name.